having to wait my turn, but my goodness, that was so good. I'm going to jump on out here and just tell you, that's church tonight. Amen? That's church tonight. Wow. I, uh, I don't know about you, but I needed that tonight. I mean, it's, it's Wednesday. Y'all been, y'all been here all week, but my goodness, it's, it's been a Wednesday. It, it's been a good week. Have you had a good week? Have you had a good week? Awesome. Praise the Lord for that. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter if you've had a good week or a bad week or a bad day. We're in here tonight for one reason, and that is because we know the tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and Jesus Christ is Lord over all of creation. I mean, he's the one we're here to celebrate tonight. It has been a great week for us. Uh, on Monday, the association that I have the privilege of leading, uh, it turned 30, 30 years on Monday. 30 years ago, we opened the doors of SDEA. And uh, since then, we have just been doing all kinds of stuff across the country. We work with Major League Baseball. We work with, uh, we've worked with National Football League. We do a student conference, as some of you know, up in the Smoky Mountains area. And uh, we balance that out. We've done some senior adult conferences. So we kind of get them at at both ends of the spectrum. There's not a lot of difference between a student conference and a senior adult conference. There's not much. Uh, For one, though, as a student conference, you're going to bed at 4 a.m., at a senior adult conference, you're getting up at 4 a.m. I mean, you're trying, y'all trying to find your coffee and uh, wanting breakfast and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when we were doing one, I had a lady walk up to me, and I don't know if you know this, Davin, but sometimes senior adults will just tell you what's on their mind. They will not beat around the bush. And she caught me during a break, and I, she, she looked at me and she said, Scott, I'm 70 years of age. I've never been married, but I haven't given up yet. I thought, this is going to be good. And she went on to tell me a story that every night before she goes to bed, she hangs a pair of men's trousers on her closet door and gets down on her knees and prays a prayer to God Almighty. It was so good. I even wrote it down in the back of my Bible. Listen to what she prays. Every night she gets down on her knees at 70 years of age and she prays, Father, hear my prayer. Grant it if you can. (laughs) I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. Amen. And then she goes to bed. That's good. That is, that is good right there. I, I'm telling you, that was, that was good that a month after that conference, I realized she had stolen that from a guy named Charles Swindoll. She was telling me a joke and didn't tell me that. And I thought to myself, that's the reason that lady's not married. I mean, she just stole somebody's joke. But it was so good, I had to share it with you. And it is so good to be here with you tonight. Tonight's a special night in my life. Uh, Our son, Hunter, is celebrating his 22nd birthday. And in a roundabout way, you guys have got a a part of that because it was was the the day, the week, we discovered we were, or not we, my wife was expecting, uh, we were actually doing a revival here with uh, with, uh, Brother Mike. and, And I'll never forget that. That because that was the last time my wife's ever had Chinese. She said, after that experience, no more. And so now I have to sweet, you know, sneak by Panda Express when I just need my, my Chinese food fix. So it is so good to be here with you. And I want to talk to you tonight because you've had some of the best uh, preachers that I have learned from and I have dwelled from that I was like, man, how in the world am I going to fit in here? And I, I'm just going to talk to you about how to make life count because uh, I don't believe I've ever met any anyone. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your gender, your, your, your socioeconomic status. Every one of us in this room wants to make their life 
count. And the way I want to do that is I, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. And as you're turning to the book of Galatians, let me just go ahead and tell you, one of my heroes of the faith is that of the Apostle Paul. I mean, I, I love uh, reading his books and, um, and just gleaning from his ability to write. Every biblical character has different nuances. But the Apostle Paul, as you know, when, he, when, when we first hear of him, he, his name is Saul. The, the Bible calls him Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was unlike the great Apostle Paul because he didn't really care for Christians. That meant that if you were to stand up and say, I profess Jesus Christ my Lord, at the very least, he'd throw you in prison. And if he was really upset, he would just have you done with right then taken out. You didn't mess with this guy named Saul. And he was on a road to Damascus to go out and persecute more Christians. And on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. Now listen, he didn't meet someone who knew Jesus. He didn't hear some more information about Jesus. He met Jesus. And when Jesus entered into his life, Jesus became so much more than, than what happens sometimes in America. Jesus didn't become just an addition to his life. Jesus became the transformation of his life. And, and all of a sudden, Saul knew he'd experienced the real thing. I, I mean, that Christ so changed his life, everything about him changed. And, and so as we know, he's later referred to as the uh, Paul and Paul the Apostle. And, and he was the greatest missionary that, that we've ever seen. And as on his journeys, he went to a place called Galatia. And as he got to Galatia, he started sharing Jesus and people got saved. And when people got saved, the church was birthed. They were growing. In fact, in the book of Galatians, he says, you received the word of the Lord warmly. And things were happening. So after a season of time, Paul leaves Galatia and goes on in his missionary journey. Well, when he leaves, there's another group that comes in called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were basically causing confusion by saying, Paul almost had this right. Paul was talking about Jesus, but you, you, you got to have Jesus plus something to equal salvation. They were talking about a ritual. And so when Paul got wind of what was going on in Galatia, that's when he wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this book called Galatians. And through the book of Galatians, he is refuting any type of an argument that it's Jesus plus anything. In Paul's mind, it is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You don't add anything to it. So when he gets to the end of the book of Galatians, he's basically at the end of his journey. And I want you to look down in one verse, one verse down in verse 17 that kind of in, in just uh, uh, captures all the book of Galatians when he says in verse 17, from now, now on, let no one trouble me. And look at the next phrase, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And when I saw that word marks, it is, the, it is the word stigmata in the original language. And basically, it would be like if we had a uniformed soldier up here tonight and the chevron stripes on, on, on the sleeve. But in the, in, in the New Testament, it, it is referring to something much deeper than that. It is referring to that of a temple slave. And that word marks is the same word that they would use as they were branding, not tattooing, deeper than that, like you would cattle branding their skin. 
Paul says, I bear my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And then I started studying and I found out there's a theological debate. There's a one camp over here that says what Paul is talking about is that he is bearing in his body the marks of Jesus, that Jesus has transformed him from the inside out. And then on the other side, there's a theological camp that says, well, what Paul is really referring to is through all the suffering he's walked through. We read that in scripture about when he was stoned or when he was whipped and all those scars on his body, Paul is saying, I bear on my body the marks of our Lord Jesus. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to please look up here and don't miss this. In my estimation, Paul is not saying it's an either or. Paul is saying it's a both and. He's like, I have been transformed from the inside out, but I do bear on my body the scars. But he's telling us tonight, I don't want anyone to bother me because my life has been transformed completely by Jesus. That's a life that counts. And so I started thinking about what are the marks we're going to have to have on our life if our life's going to count for the kingdom of God. If we're going to be something more than just a blip on the screen of humanity, and I want you to keep your Bible open, and I want us to walk through just a couple of verses tonight, okay? So keep your Bibles open. Go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I want you to see the first mark that, that Paul kind of brings out to us. He, he basically says, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one. Now, I want you to look at that word spiritual because that's the first mark we're all going to have to have. Now, I know in America in 2017, when we use the term spiritual, we get scared in a Baptist church. We start thinking, are you referring to something that Dr. Oz is talking about or Dr. Field talks about on afternoon television? Ladies and gentlemen, please understand, this is a scriptural term. Tonight in this room, there are only three types of people in this auditorium. According to scripture, there is only, every one of us is in one of three conditions. The first condition is that of being a natural person, a natural man, a natural woman. You know that is, that's how we're born in this world. We are, we are birthed into this, into this uh, world as a natural person. That means we're apart from God, okay? Because the Bible makes this very clear. The, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You may not know me, I may not know you, but we've got one thing in common. You know what it is? <laughs> we've all sinned. If you don't believe me, I'm gonna prove it to you right here. Here we go. If you've ever told a lie in your entire life, not just today, but in your entire life, if you've ever told a lie, would you just please raise your hand right now? Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. And I want you to look around the room right now. Do you look around the room? Do you see all the liars that came to church tonight? Do y'all see that? My goodness. Okay, you can drop it. By the way, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told a lie right then, didn't you? I, I, I mean, isn't that weird to us? It shouldn't be, but when we are birthed from our mother's womb, we come into this world knowing how to be bad. Parents, we don't teach our kids how to be bad. I mean, I, I got a 22-year-old son, and, and we didn't teach him how to be bad. I mean, I've been preaching like your pastor says for 30 years, and I started when I was uh, a teenager, and, and uh, I used to have a sermon, and I'd go around and preach called 10 Surefire Ways to Raise, 10 surefire ways to raise Godly Kids. I had no business preaching that message, okay? 
Now that we've had kids, I've changed that message to three suggestions that may or may not work. You know what I'm saying? All right? it, I still preach it. I just use it differently. But that, that's the difference between theory and reality. I mean, when you walked in here tonight, we've got to realize we're all sinners before a holy God. And I love to preach about the forgiveness of God. I love to preach about the love of God. Now look at me, don't miss this. I have never grabbed my Bible and seen where it's written three times where it says he is loving, loving, loving. I've never read three times where it says he's forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. But you know what we do read? He is holy, holy, holy. Wow, you, you can't sidestep that. You can't just sweep that under the carpet and pretend like it's not there. So all of a sudden we realize because of God's holiness, by the way, defined absolute perfection. So God is absolutely perfect. Because of my sin, we've separated ourselves from God. You say, well, how did this happen? You have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Man, sin was not created in a factory in Chicago in 1971. You go back to the Garden of Eden and that's where it began because the woman, Eve, was deceived. But Adam, the man, deliberately disobeyed. And from that time, sin has flown through the veins of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl were sinners before this holy God. We cannot come into his presence, not even on our best day. Now, I know you're probably sitting here going, wait a minute, are you saying we're in this situation called some old boy named Adam? We are. But none of us can blame Adam. You know why? <laughs> We've already raised our hands. Every one of us in this room has chosen to rebel against God. We've all done it. So I'm over here, God is over there, and I can't come to him. But here's the good news on a Wednesday night. When I couldn't come to him, he came to me. Man, he was birthed in this planet, and for 33 years he walked among us, and he never once says, pay me. He never even says, thank me. You know what he says? Follow me. Why? Because he knew his mission on this planet. He went to the cross. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin because there had to be a payment for the sin of mankind. I couldn't pay it. Look at me. You couldn't pay it. I don't care how good of a person you are. You know what the Bible says? My best works are like filthy rags before a holy God. I'm separated from him. And he says, well, what makes Jesus so unique? Why is he different? Because when I was growing up, the preachers would always call him the God-man. And I'd say, that is so cool. And they'd define it like this. He is all God like he is no man. And he is all man like he is no God. And I thought, that is awesome. But you will never understand it until you place Jesus on the cross. Because when he was lifted up, because he is all God, he is firmly grasped to God's deity. But because he's all man, at that point he could reach out to the sinfulness of mankind. And when they lifted Jesus Christ up, he became the one who bridged the gap between God and man together again. That's the reason there's hope tonight. And being apart from him, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not even saying you're an immoral person. Here's what I'm saying. You're a natural person. You're apart from the holiness of God. That's the reason the Bible says, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty. 
Well, that's the natural person apart from God. Now, then Paul introduces us a, a, another concept. He says, now, there's not only a natural man, there's a carnal man. And, and when I heard the carnal man, and I read about the carnal man for the sake of time tonight, let me just kind of define that person. In America in 2017, here's how I define a carnal person. That's the person who will say with their lips, I know Jesus. But then by their life, they reveal they really don't. Their audio doesn't match their video. Have you ever seen one of those movies that have been dubbed into English and it just doesn't sync and you just go, that's just weird. That just doesn't sync up. You know how Jesus said it, with their lips, they praise me, but their hearts are far away. You see, the natural man and the carnal man that, that's, that, that's someone that's apart from the, 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 the love of God, the holiness. That, that's apart from our relationship with God. And, and then you have this term, verse 1, here called spiritual. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you get scared of that word spiritual. You go, man, I, you know, no one's perfect. And I, I got news for you. And there's, there's, we've all made mistakes in this room. We're, there's not a perfect person in this room. But can, can I just remind you of something? You know who is a spiritual person in this room? It's the man, the woman, the boy or girl who knows Jesus. It's, it's the person in this room who has come into a right relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. Man, if you come into a right relationship with God, you know what happens? Here, here's the one thing I want to share with you tonight. God sees us through the blood of Jesus. That means we are absolutely perfect in our Father's eyes. So you, you are perfect in your father's eyes. Now I know on this planet, we're in a growing relationship with Christ. So you know what? He must increase, I must decrease. So I'm growing in that relationship. You know what that means? That means I better be like more, I better be more like Jesus today than I was 22 years ago when I was back here doing a, a, a revival. And if I come back in 22 years later, Jesus hadn't come back, I should be more like Jesus then than I am today. You see, I'm growing in that relationship. Here's what I'm saying. You don't meet Jesus and get over him. There's a Russian proverb, and I know right now we don't talk about Russia a lot, okay? But there is a Russian proverb. It's over 200 years of age. Listen to what it says. It says, those who've been infected with the disease of Jesus will never be cured. I just want you to hear that. That's good. That's tweetable. Those who've been infected with the disease of Jesus will never be cured. You don't meet Jesus and get over him. Um, I was going to do a, a mission trip to a, a place, and I'm not going to tell you where it was, but there was a lot of stuff going on. They told me I had to get some vaccinations. And uh, I showed up because I didn't want to catch what they told me I could catch. And uh, I, I wish I could tell you it was planned. It was totally spontaneous. The the doctor, my friend, he was about to give me a shot, and I stopped him, and I just said, Bert, what are you about to put in me? And I'll never forget this. He, he, he stopped, he tilted his head back, and he started chuckling, and here's what he said. He said, well, I'm actually about to give you the disease. Now, listen to me, but here's what he said. He said, but don't worry. I'm just going to give you enough of it to where your body can build a defense against it, and you'll never become infected. And it was at that moment, I promise you, it galvanized in my mind. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not careful in the United States of America, I'm going to bring it closer to home. If you're not careful in Alabama, the buckle of the Bible belt, 
you will not become infected with Jesus. You'll just get enough of him so you become vaccinated against Jesus. That, that, you know what I'm telling you? You, you, you can come and, and be a part of this because your friends come or, or, or you want to listen to the music because these folks, hey, they're talented. Good, uplifting words. I mean, it's inspirational. You, you'll even sit through the message as long as he doesn't preach too long and he gives you a couple of jokes. Amen? Okay. And, and you go, and you could be sitting here. It's, it's October 25th. It's, it's about so 7.37 at night. I want to ask you, are you natural? Are you carnal? Or are you spiritual? It's a decision that I can't make for you. Your parents can't make for you. Your children can't make for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. Only you can decide. And you can try to fool me and I can try to fool you, but I can't fool myself. And you know what? You can't fool yourself. And tonight I'm telling you, if you want to make life count, become infected with Jesus. Come to Jesus personally. That's the first mark. Now, I want you to see just like those steps, they build on one another. Let, let me give you the second mark tonight. Keep your Bibles open. Look down to verse three, okay? And, and I want you to see the second mark. The first mark is being spiritual. The second mark is verse three, when Paul says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So if the first mark is being spiritual, the second mark is that of a life of humility, of humility, because Paul says, if you think of yourself something when you're nothing, you, you really deceive yourself. And, and we understand, for by grace are you saved through faith. I, I mean, it's nothing I did, so I can't boast about it. It's all about him. And you know what? If we're really going to make our life count, we're going to stay away from that word called pride. But we understand God doesn't like pride. In fact, his word says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. In fact, we've learned this all of our life. Pride comes before what? We've heard that all of our lives. Let me ask you to mark down this verse. Proverbs 16, 18. Don't look it up yet. You can look it up on the way home. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, a haughty spirit comes before a fall. A haughty spirit is not necessarily pride. A haughty spirit is, when I looked it up and discovered it, it's just when you need a reality check. It's when you think a little bit too much of yourself, you're, you're beyond reality, basically, and you need to have a reality check, okay? Uh, every one of us have been in that situation. Let me give you a prime example. Muhammad Ali, when he won the Thriller in Manila, the story goes, he had his championship belt on, he walked on the plane, he started parading around. The stewardess came up and said, sir, please sit down, put your seatbelt on, we're about to take off. Muhammad Ali quipped, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. To which the stewardess replied, Superman doesn't need an airplane. Sit down, put your seatbelt on, we got to get out of here, all right? So... That you, do you understand the, the grip of reality there, okay? That, that's a haughty spirit. Now, I'm going to teach you something. Here it goes. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. Scripture says pride comes before destruction. What is pride? It's a self-sustaining spirit. It's when you've gotten to the point where you're no longer willing to listen to advice. You're not seeking anyone else's counsel and it all revolves around you. Now, there's two forms of pride. There's one called arrogance. We, we, we see arrogance coming. I mean, you and I, okay, we got that. You go, oh, he's so arrogant. But can I tell you in church work, the thing I have to be dangerous, uh, careful of 
is the other form of pride that's just as dangerous. It's not arrogance. It's false humility. It's, it's like it, you're humble and proud of it, if I could say it like that, okay? It, it is just when you're able to turn every phrase that you know how to use where you get all the attention. Because God's going to share his possessions with us because he's a gracious God. God will share his people with us because he's a gracious God. But study scripture, you know what he'll never share? His glory. And I've come to realize, you know what my biggest problem in life is most of the time? Me. I want to give you an example. Uh, it's an illustration that's going to come across wrong, but I'm trusting you'll stay with me. Um, have y'all ever seen the movie Courageous? Anybody ever seen the movie? Oh, oh, great. I'm with my people. Okay. Courageous. It was, uh, it's a great movie. It's about uh, police officers. And I was going down, I was going to do a devotional for the crew. And uh, when I got done, we were about to leave, drive back to Birmingham from Albany, Georgia. And the pastor, the executive producers, you know, he just, I remember, he screamed across the room. He said, hey, Dawson, do you want to be in the movie? And you know how I responded. I was like, yes, sir, I do. You know, uh, a star is born, you know. And so I, I went through wardrobe. I went through makeup. And for nine hours, I filmed the most critical part of the film. I mean, it was when the bad cop was going to be arrested. They had to rush in. And they realized at that moment, one uniformed officer would never arrest another uniformed officer. So they had to have somebody who could wear a suit. And luckily, I was the only person that could fit in the suit. So that's how I got in the movie. And so they invited us over to the Fox Theater for the premiere. I'll never forget. I was sitting in a row. I had my wife. We had several of our friends there. And I knew when the scene was coming, I was like, hey, here it comes. Here comes my scene. Here comes my scene. And as you've seen the movie, you can't see me. All you can see is the back of my head throughout the entire scene. That's all you can see is the back of my head. Nine hours of filming and you see the back of my head. And, and Jordy, one of my dearest friends, he was bent over laughing. And here's what he said. He said, Dawson, you're nothing but a glorified extra in this movie. That's, that's all you are in this movie. And and I, I realized, you, you, know, you know what happens? Most of the time, even when I came to know Christ, my life wants to revolve around me. Ladies and gentlemen, if our life's going to count in the kingdom of God, you know what I have to do? I have to step aside. He's the leading man. All I am is a glorified extra in this thing called life. So maybe some of us are here this evening and we're getting in the way. That's the reason you surrender yourself. You see, the first mark is going to be spiritual, knowing Christ, being infected with him. The next mark is going to be, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to, he's going to increase and I'm going to decrease. And let, let me give you the third mark. Go down to verse nine. This is, this is right after the law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And here's how Paul kind of uh, finishes that principle up. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap. And I love this next phrase. If we do not lose heart. I got a word for someone in this room. I don't know who it is. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how bad it's been, but look at me. Don't give up. Don't give up. The third mark is persistence. Your level of commitment will always be determined by what it will take to stop you. 
Your level of commitment will always be determined by what it will take to stop you. So let me ask you this question. Don't answer it for anyone else in this room. What would it take for you to stop following Jesus? I mean, that's, that's a tough question. I think we better start asking him because it seems like people are turning their backs on him everywhere we go, we're turned. So what would, I'm asking those of us in this room at First Baptist tonight, what would it, don't answer out, just think about what would it take for you to stop following Jesus? I hope the answer you give is nothing because I can't stand up here tonight and tell you that something will not take place in your life. You see, we live in a fallen creation. Some, some of us have already moved past what we started out at. You know, the Garden of Eden. Hey, hey, guys, don't ever forget the Garden of Eden. Don't think it's just some type of made-up Bible. No, it is deep, rich, spiritual truth that took place in the Garden of Eden. In fact, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says because of what happened in the Garden of, uh, of Eden and the fall of mankind, that creation moans. That still impacts us today. We live in a fallen creation. Now, I'm not standing up here tonight saying that if you're going through cancer, God's mad at you. I'm not saying if there's been an accident, God's trying to get back at you. That's not what I'm saying at all. Please listen to me tonight. What I'm saying is because we live in a fallen creation, stuff happens. But it doesn't put a condition in our relationship with Christ because I didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'll follow you unless something happens to my family or something happens to my health or something happens here or something happens there. Why? Because none of us have that written guarantee. We didn't come and negotiate our salvation. We came to receive our salvation. You see, that's the reason some of you are here tonight and you knew it was something more than just lifting your face or filling out a card or raising your hand. When you come to Christ, it is not politically correct, but it is biblically accurate. We become enslaved to the bonds of Christ. Enslaved men and women have no rights. Whatever happens to me, happens to me. But it's not about me. It's all about him. In fact, let me just put it to you like this. If you, if you think you've had a bad week or a bad situation, and I'm not making light of that, but I just want you to think about this. There's only one person that was perfect. If anyone should have gotten out of here without any problems, it should have been Jesus. But the Bible calls him a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Paul, the guy I've been talking about all night, all he wanted to do is tell people about Jesus. Everywhere he went, people were trying to kill him. I said, Paul, if you don't be quiet about the gospel, we're going we're gonna to throw rocks at you. And Paul says, well, keep on throwing rocks because I'm going to tell you about Jesus. They said, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're going we're gonna to whip you. And Paul says, well, go ahead and whip me. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And somebody said, well, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're going to throw you in jail. And Paul just says, well, if you throw me in jail, throw me down there in Rome because there's a lot of prisoners in Rome and they need Jesus. And finally, somebody came up with a brilliant idea and said, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're going to kill you. And Paul just looks at him and says, all right, go ahead. To live is Christ, but to die is, to be absent from the body is to be present with the He's, he's like, you don't understand my mentality. It's not about me. It's always about him. You see how those marks always build on one another. Once we are infected with Jesus and once we surrender ourselves before God's mighty hand, we realize the level of our commitment is determined by what it will take to stop us. I've got to ask you something tonight. What it is going to stop you? Don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Parents, don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your parents. Don't, don't give up on your city. Let's not give up on our country, and certainly let's not give up on our world. 
because the tomb is empty. The throne is occupied. We know who wins. We're part of a winning team. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Don't give up. Some of you are here tonight, and you're at that crossroad. Don't give up. I don't know who that's for. It's for someone in this room. The fourth mark, let me give you this, and then we'll, we'll shut her down. Y'all got me riled up tonight. It was y'all's fault. The music did it. So I'm just telling you, I, I, I will... Good thing my annual physical's tomorrow. My heart's probably beating a little fast. So go, go down to verse 14. Let me give you this one. It says, uh, Paul says, my favorite verse. He says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If I'm going to brag, I'm going to brag on Jesus. Let me give you the fourth mark. Put it down. It's the word called passion. Passion. By the way, have you ever thought about what passion really is? What's the definition of passion? It, I used to think it was the most expressive people had to be the most passionate people because they're hyper. Now, I've realized some of us just drink way too much caffeine. Amen on that? All right. So, you know what I've realized? You know what passion is? If you've ever wanted to know what passion is, passion is your priority. Pa passion, pa you know how you can determine what your passion really is about? It, it's what you're willing to spend money on. It's what you talk about. It's what you think about. It's what you work for. I'm not asking you if you got passion. I'm asking you what you're passionate about because in some parts of our country, they don't even know Alabama's a state. They just know we've got one thing. What is it? College football. I mean, my goodness. Grown men will paint their bodies. Show up and root for guys they've never met, for a sport they've never played in, a school they've never attended. It just blows my mind. And I'm, I'm not getting off. In fact, you know what I've done? I've done some research. Listen to this. The first college football game ever recorded was in 1869. The two teams, Princeton University versus Rutgers University. First college football game. They, it is estimated that 100 people attended that game. Ironically, if those two teams played this weekend, they would probably have the same attendance. But that's a different story. We'll talk about that later, okay? But <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, all right? But in Alabama, our spring practices will draw 50,000 people. And they're passionate. And I think we just get on to them too much. Because what if I were to talk about your hobby? What, was I, what if I talked about my passion? So I'm not asking you if you're, I'm asking you what you're passionate about. What are you willing to spend money on? What are you willing to talk about? What do you think about? Paul says, if I'm going to brag, I'm going to brag on Jesus. He, he, was, he was crucified. And I've been crucified. You know, it'd be one thing if he just died for us. I'm going I'm to give you something here. So, so please don't miss this. If you're here tonight and you're sitting there and you're going, man, Jesus died for me. He, that's a good man. But if he only died for us, I'd say that's a good man, but I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to call you to Christ if all he did was die for us. That's a, that's a good man. But you know what the rest of the story is? On the third day, the stone was rolled away. By the way, not to let Jesus out. 
He was not stuck in that tomb wondering, worried, going, I hope they don't forget about me, okay? The stone was rolled away so that we can go in and find that he who went in is no longer in. Ladies and gentlemen, he's out. He came to this earth as a suffering servant. He went to the tomb as a crucified Christ, but on the third day he arose the exalted son of the living God. And you know what Paul says about him in the book of Philippians? That God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things of heaven, of things of earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue will declare, every politician, every celebrity, and listen, every one of us in this room will all declare Jesus Christ is what? To the glory of God the Father. If he was some idol we just kind of bowed to every once in a while and tipped our hat to, I'd say we all need to get a life. But because we know the tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and he's promised to come back and take us home to spend eternity in a place called heaven with him, I call upon you on the name of Jesus Christ to come to him and receive him as your Lord and Savior and receive the free gift of salvation. He can change your life right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. We're not going to be much longer. I'm going to ask the instrumentalists to come and begin to play very softly. And I know in a crowd of this size, I'm speaking to a lot of people in different situations. And some of you are sitting there going, man, my goodness, you're talking about a God that loves me, a God that wants to forgive me, a God that is so powerful, you resurrected from the grave. You've got to admit that sounds awesome. How can you receive him tonight? And it's not by running up and down these aisles. It's not by screaming to the top of your lungs. It's not by being so expressive like me. It, it, that's not what we're talking about. You know what you have to do? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to listen to what that says. Whosoever, whosoever means anyone in this room. It means you, it means me. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The word call means to stretch forth. Some people have a mindset that it's a baby reaching up to their parents, and that may be the case. But can I give you what it means in the original language? It's, it's, it's to stretch with the urgency. So it'd be like if you were drowning in a body of water and right before you went under the last time, someone threw you a life preserver. What are you going to do when you see that life preserver? You're, you're going to grab the life preserver because you need to be saved. You don't want to drown in that body of water. Now, somebody could say, well, wait a minute. When I grab the life preserver, I save myself. No, I got to remind you, you are drowning. You can't save yourself. You have to trust upon the life preserver. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not the life preserver. First Baptist Church isn't the life preserver. God just uses tools like us to throw the life preserver. Your Jesus is who we're talking about. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. Now you say, well, wait a minute. How can I do that? I, I understand the meaning, but how do I do that? You got to do business with Jesus. You can't be sitting there tonight going, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tip my hat towards him. I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge his existence. No, you have to become infected with Jesus. You, you, you have to surrender. And I know no better way to do that than by a prayer. And I know there's a lot of people out there that say, well, there's not a prayer written in Scripture. There's not a prayer written in the hymnal. And I get that. But can I just remind you of what the Scripture teaches? Isaiah says, if I have sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So let me just talk to you. Already we've acknowledged that every one of us have sinned. So if I have sinned, the Lord's not going to hear me. 
But if I go to the New Testament, this man named Paul, he has the audacity to say, pray without ceasing. So how do you go from God not hearing you to praying without ceasing? You go to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who explains it when he says to a religious person, you must be born again. So your first authentic prayer, ladies and gentlemen, is not before the big game. It's not before the holiday meal. It's to call upon the name of the Lord. I can't do it for you. I wish I could. I'd do it for you in a second, but I can't. Your parents can't do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. This has to be your decision. But tonight, wherever you are across this room, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And if you're in this room and you don't have that relationship with Christ, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not even saying you're not a religious person. I'm saying you're sitting there now and you know Jesus has never changed your life. You've never been infected with Jesus. Well, before you walk out this back door, open up your heart's door and say yes to Him. It is the most important decision of your life. As I pray this prayer out loud, I'm not going to ask you to say anything with your lips. But I'm going to ask you to scream it inside your heart. The person beside you will not know what's going on. But the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of God. That means they're going to throw a party in heaven on your behalf. So I'll pray it out loud. You pray it inside your heart. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It goes like this. Dear God, I know I've done some things wrong. But I know you love me. To the point you sent your son to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Help me to love you. Thank you, God. I now call you Father. Thank you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let me tell you what's about to take place. In just a moment, we're going to pray and then we're going to stand. Our, our praise ensemble is going to begin to sing a time of invitation. And when they begin to sing, we're going to have uh, Pastor Davin and some other staff members here at the front. And if you prayed that prayer tonight, now listen to me carefully. If you sincerely, earnestly prayed that prayer tonight, no one can ever take Jesus away from you. He's not a God that wants to play games in your life. He's a God that wants to plant roots in your life. So in just a few moments, I want you to hear what I'm going to ask you to do. When we stand, if you prayed that prayer with me this evening for the first time or for the first time that you meant it, tonight you want to be infected with Jesus Christ. As soon as we stand, I'm going to invite you to leave your seat. If you're in the middle, just scoot out. They'll let you out. If you're on the end, you just step out. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to grab one of these men's hands. And I want you to tell them, I pray to receive Jesus tonight. You're saying, wait a minute. You're adding something to it. You're adding something to it. No, I promise you, I'm not adding anything to it. But you know what? I'm old enough now. I don't get into silly arguments. I don't know if you meant business or if you didn't mean business. I don't know if you meant the prayer, if you didn't mean the prayer. So, so where I go is to what Jesus says. You know what Jesus says? He puts it like this. He says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Now, I just want to, I want to use your mind tonight. I just want to sit and I want to talk to you and just tell you. Tonight, if this relationship with Christ that you just began, 
If it doesn't mean enough that in just a few moments when we stand, you step out, come forward, grab someone's hand and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I just prayed to receive Jesus. I become infected with Jesus. If you're not willing to tell a bunch of Jesus followers in this room that you're one of his, do you really think you're going to be able to go back to your school, go back to your home? I'll tell you, go back to your business and live for Jesus in a world that hates you. You may be the only one that comes tonight. I'd rather that be your mentality and only be you that responds than for you to sit back, wait on everyone else to make their decision. Can I remind you of this? He never says in his word, Jesus never says, follow my followers. Jesus says, follow me. So as soon as we stand, come, confess Christ. Don't delay. Don't let anyone hold you back. Others may be here tonight. There's situations going on in your life. There's an altar open. You may just need some prayer. Maybe someone's battling with just giving up. Maybe someone's battling with depression, discouragement. Whatever God's speaking to your heart. You know what I read about in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament? When God's people got together, they expected God to speak. And they were anticipating their response. Did you come in here tonight expecting God to speak to you? Now may I ask you, are you expecting to respond to what he says? Say yes to Jesus tonight. Whatever aspect is going on in your life. Let's pray. Father, right now all across this room, will you just wrap us up in your love and your grace and your mercy? And I, I pray for the one that prayed that prayer tonight. And right now their, their heart's fluttering and they, they understand they don't know what's going on across this room and can they dare to trust you and God I pray that you give them boldness and courage like they've never known before Lord I pray that you become so real right now in their, in their midst that, that their only response is to take that first step God I pray that you show up and you show off for your glory and we give you the praise in Jesus name Amen let's stand together you come